Thank you, Matt. This is Peter Karutz, your host today. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, we are in studio live, I said that before, didn't I, with my good friend, Fred Vilbig. Hi, y'all. Although I, I have to say, I was listening to what the I intro. Do, I do something wrong already? No, 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 no. I, I was listening to the intro, and the intro said, you know, we're going to have eloquent, eloquent speakers. Say that again three times, Eloquent please. speakers. Yeah. And I thought, wait, I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there's been four languages spoken in this room just the, in the last few minutes, so there must be some eloquence there. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah that must yeah, be it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Or there's well, something in here, but we won't go into that. And let me tell you about that something. Here's today's program. It is, are you ready? Living well, dying better. So, you know, it is Halloween, and, um, <laughs> and there's a lot of death going around. And, and with Halloween... Uh, comes what its true name is. It's All Hallowed's Eve because we have All Saints Day on November 1 and then November 2 we have All Souls Day and you don't get to be a saint or one of the All Souls unless you go through that death thing. Right. That I think we all kind of have to go through. Right. For the most part. Right. Right. So we're going to talk about living well, dying better. So, the the Greeks say... Live until you die. Right. Live until you die. And uh, I, I had a, a, my business partner died a week ago. And, uh, the, and, and just before he died, he went on vacation. He was at his daughter's wedding. He was dancing up a storm. And you know what? He, he died suddenly, but he lived well. And he, right. and he well prepared for his death that he didn't know when it was going to come. Why? How? By loving God, right? Right. You know, with the Baltimore Catechism tells us uh, why, why did God make you? To, to know him, to love him, to serve him in this world so we'll be happy forever with him in the next. The problem is we don't know when that day is going to come. Right. Yeah. In my work as a, a state planning attorney, we you know, get calls about people that die very suddenly like your friend. Um, and you, know, you never know when that time is going to come. And so the, there's an old Latin saying about memento mori, and it's remember death, mm-hmm. that you always need to keep in mind uh, death so that you do live well. Like you were saying, the Greeks say live until you die, but you need to live with sort of an eye towards death because that's when the important things really happen. You know, the, the church used to have uh, sermons that were given on the last four things, death, judgment, hell, and heaven. And it's good to keep those things in mind because, you know, heaven or hell is forever. That's right. And this life is only temporary. So you need to live your life in preparation for the next life. Right. Be ready. Be well prepared. Now, Fred Fred used to be here in studio all the time, and he's been busy doing other things, writing books. He wrote a book called You Can't Take It With You, and I think that's about estate planning. Yeah, that's that's a professional book. You know, the it has to do with estate planning, wills, trusts, that sort of thing. Which we all need to do. We right. all need to think about right. that. And I guess you have another one that's ready to go or in process, Leave No Soul Behind. That's a legal book too, huh? No, no. <laughs> that's it's the, the subtitle is A Catholic Handbook because, you know, the world is a mess. You might not have noticed that. I know that you live in a you know, a, a, a prima donna kind of a world, and everything is wonderful. But really, I've been in my basement for the last seven months. I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. 
But no, the, the world is a mess, and all the solutions that the world offers, they fail. And they fail because the problem is with us, because we have chased God out of our lives. But, you know, you try to convince people that they need to turn to God, and our society rejects that. And so how do you convince people? Well, you need to pray. Everything starts with prayer if you read mm -hmm. the saints. And then you need to uh, also live your faith. And that's, you know, you know, looking at the Ten Commandments. What I do in the book is I look at the Ten Commandments, and I also look at the uh, acts of mercy, the uh, spiritual and corporal acts of mercy. But then the, the third thing that... You know, when you were a kid, maybe, my mother never said this, but when you were a kid, did your mom ever say, offer it up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've kind of dropped that whole idea of offering things up, and yet it's critical because it ties into the Mass. And I go into all of that in the book about how, you know, you unite your sacrifice with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross at the Mass because his sacrifice on Calvary was timeless. He's God. He's outside of time, so he's both in time and out of time, and so there's that eternal present, that eternal now, and we unite our sacrifices to that, and it makes your prayer very, very powerful. That's how we can convert the world. Everyone talks about evangelization, and like St. Peter said, it's important for you to be able to explain the reasons for your faith, but what I find with my kids, they're not going to listen. You know, they're all inundated with all of the modern contemporary thought. And so what you need to do is you need to get the Holy Spirit to break through that. Um, there's a, one of my favorite quotes from Archbishop Sheen is that uh, sometimes the good Lord has to break a few hearts to get their attention. You know? yeah. So anyway, so that, that's what this, this book is oh, about. Oh, that sounds great. And, and the offer it up, I think it ha has become a lost maxima, if you will. And, and, and people use it jokingly. Yeah. Yeah, but it's real. But it's real. And it's it, 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 just as prayer is efficacious, so is suffering. Uh, John Paul wrote in uh, Salvific Dolores, I think, right. one of his first quotes was uh, Col uh, Colossians 1.24, I think, right. uh, where Paul says, I rejoice in the suffering of my body for the church um, because it makes up what's lacking in Christ. I mean, he, he doesn't need us. He wants us. Right. He's, he's allowing, he saves some space for us to unite our suffering, whatever it might be, small or large, to his great salvific action. And the, the thing is, I, I asked a priest once, because that, uh, growing up in Texas, surrounded by Southern Baptists, you know, that, that was never that That's not verse. in the Bible, is it? Well, <laughs> for them it really wasn't. I, I can't tell you how many times I heard once saved, always saved. Oh, okay. You know, that that was the I don't older. think that's in there either. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Anyway, um, but that phrase is something that would be very problematic for um, uh, evangelicals. And so what I, one time I asked a friend of mine, Father uh, Joe Monahan, I said, Father, what, what does that even mean? And he said, what's lacking is he wants you to unite yourself to the cross with him. Absolutely. That's what's lacking. It's Absolutely. not that his, his, his offering, his sacrifice was lacking. It's that he wants us to join with him. Absolutely. He's, anyway, that book is, because yeah. um, we did want to get on with death. Oh, um, yeah. We've got to get on with it. I know, we? I know. But th that book, um, Leave No Soul Behind. Leave No Soul Behind, yeah. it is, we're in the final stages of getting it ready to, just to uh, offer to the public. We're putting together a website, uh, working on all of this to get it done. We're hoping to have it uh, sometime in January to have that out. 
And then the next book that I've been working on, it's in the editing phase. Mm -hmm. It's uh, So What's Next? The yeah. last four things, right? And that and those talks, are, and that it actually ties into the program. Yeah, death, judgment, hell, and heaven. And I use it in order to explain all of these things. I use the lives of the saints, you know, the catechism quotes from the Bible, all of that. So it's all the, the first book has got over four hundred footnotes, and I'll expect you when you read it to go and to look in detail. Uh, in, in all of those footnotes. You're so. not getting away with any kind of <laughs> volume. Oh, give him 400. He won't look him up. Uh, we'll catch you. We'll catch you. Don't worry. And, and by the way, thank you for uh, making me even further behind in my reading than I already am. <laughs> Very good of you. Very You're good welcome. of you. Yeah. Very good of you. So we are talking about, and I think this all ties together, we're talking about, let me look at the title, Living Well, Dying Better. Right. Living well, dying better. And it is Halloween, and I thought, well, I guess that's the thing to do. Talk about keeping death at, at, at the forefront. You know, the, the Chinese have a holiday, a day off from work type of holiday, where in the spring they actually go to the tombs. It's called, I think it's called Tomb Day. When they go to the tombs of their you know, dearly departed and they clean them off, sweep them off, get the Actually, that of was when up. the, the uh, COVID virus spread. Yeah. Because it was the it was the tomb day and everybody was coming into town. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. That, that. was what I heard. I wasn't there, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So, yeah. But and and then the Spanish, uh, the Mexicans especially, have the Dia de los Muertos. Yes, yeah. the day of the death. It, but it almost seems like for America, you know, we don't we don't have we have this Halloween thing. Yeah. But it's almost like we've made. A death into some sort of a caricature. You know, it's, it's not really immediate. It used to be that when somebody would die, it was very immediate because they would die in their homes and people would be sitting beside them as they die. Um, and when they died, they'd be laid out maybe on the dining room table. Right in the house. Right in the house. Yeah. They'd have the undertaker come to the house to do it. You didn't have funeral homes. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the undertaker would come in. And they, the reason why you have flowers, I mentioned this before the program, the reason you have flowers is to cover up from the stench. Because as soon as someone dies, you know, their body, unless you're a saint, <laughs> and there are saints whose bodies have not corrupted, but yeah. uh, almost everybody's body uh, starts corrupting immediately. And the stench is, is horrible. So you have the flowers and you bury people very, you would bury people very quickly. Now, you know, we, we warehouse people. We put them aside into a nursing home or a hospital or, or some separate location. And for a lot of people, death is a phone call. You know, your mom died, your brother died, your father died, your aunt died, your uncle died. But it isn't that immediate kind of in-your-face thing. And so American society, we've sterilized that whole experience. You know, it's something... That happens to other people. It doesn't really happen to me because I'm young, I'm vibrant, I'm out there running five miles. We have a we have a men's group that uh, now we're doing it virtually, but we would uh -huh. meet every Saturday morning. It was, right. it, How it, early? Uh, Seven thirty now. Oh, yeah, flipping so, are you? Well, it was seven, but that the, the first 30 minutes was to kind of oh, I got network yeah, and yeah. stuff well, and well, see well. how. But we don't need to do that anymore, mm -hmm. or we can't really. So anyway, the um, so one of the guys on the the uh, Zoom call this morning. Uh, somebody said, well, you know, what did you do this morning? So, well, I ran five miles. I want to show off. I know. <laughs> I 
What were you running yeah. from? Yeah, yeah. But, How know, fast? Yeah. <laughs> but, but people are out there, you know, they're exercising and doing all this, stuff, eating all the right stuff and doing all that just so that they can stay alive. Mm-hmm. And it's all to be healthy, although, you know, after you run for a while, you have to have your knees and hips replaced and stuff. It seems to be kind of goofy. But um, anyway, we our society is kind of in denial of death, and yet it's going to happen. And in fear of it. Right. Well, I think the denial is the way that they deal with that existential dread of, you know, what happens then. And, and I really, I kind of feel sorry for people who don't believe in God. Yeah. Because when it's over, it's over. It's done, gone, over. And it's not like, it's not like a dream. You know, because if you don't believe in God or a spiritual life, not like you're going to have uh, a dream of some sort. It's just, you're over. There will be no consciousness, nothing. Um, the the um, Buddhists, I believe it is, they have a kind of a, uh, an understanding of nirvana. Mm-hmm. And nirvana mm-hmm. is this kind of blissful nothingness. Blissful nothingness. Yeah, yeah. that the soul doesn't die, but mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it goes into this... There was a party at my house with a bunch of teenagers, and my youngest daughter, so proud of her, she's, there's this, uh, there was this young man, he's actually a Hispanic, Mexican, and he announced to her that he, he's an atheist. And my daughter just scratched her head and said, man, that doesn't even make sense. And she, she's, I, I'm in the kitchen doing whatever I got to do, and I'm listening to all of this. And she basically describes Pascal's wager, and, and it still meant nothing to him. Now, really? My, my daughter didn't apparently didn't, maybe she didn't remember what it was called or she didn't say it, but she certainly described it very well. Wait, wait, for our listeners, you oh, want to explain you, what You do it. You'll do it much better than I will. I doubt it. But anyway, uh, Pascal's wager is... Pa- pa- I'm sorry, Pascal is a mathematician. Right. Well, philosopher, mathematician. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, so what he said was that he would, and I'm probably not saying this art- articulately enough, um, but his, his idea was that, you know, it's less risky to believe in God than it is not to believe in God, because if you don't believe in God and there is a God, you lose, whereas if you believe in God and there isn't a God, you're no worse off. That's right. It's yeah. a no-lose circumstance. Right. It's right. not faith per se, but it's what do I got to lose? Right. You know? Well, and I'll tell you, you're listening to St. Joseph Radio oh. Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. Haven't said that in a while. This is Fred Vilbig with us. He is actually a full-fledged, qualified, and credentialed attorney right. who has written uh, several books and more on their way. And, and, and in the spirit of the program today, which is living well, dying better, y- your specialty is estate planning. Estate planning, I do, you know, corporate right. real estate as well, but it, estate planning yeah. quite and, a bit. And we're talking about Pascal's wager. Right. Well, I wanted to get back to, you know, the, the this young man who said he didn't believe in God. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I, I assert that it takes more faith to deny God than it does to believe in God because you have to believe that, okay, so we had the Big Bang and everyone kind of accepts that. We have the Big Bang, and the idea for a long time was that the universe was expanding, it would slow down, it would contract, there would be another Big Bang, and everything would go on. So it's the universality of matter. I'll get back to that. 
But now they've found that actually there's this stuff out there called dark matter. Right. Which is, Big has, it has anti-gravitational properties to it. So the universe, the expansion of the universe isn't slowing down. It's actually expanding and accelerating. And all of the nuclear material is going to eventually burn out. Yes, it'll be billions of years from now, but it'll eventually burn out. And the creation, as we know it, would naturally end in cold absolute zero, and darkness. And for you to believe that all of this just came about naturally, that there wasn't a first cause, I I think takes a huge amount of faith. And then the other thing is all of these properties that we have, uh, you know, we we believe in the, you know, the natural selection from Darwin. Sure. Uh, We believe that things are progressing. Well, really, we, we have in our world entropy. Entropy is sort of the deterioration of matter, and everything is subject to you know, entropy. And so there are different definitions, but that's one of the definitions of entropy. Anyway, so the things are really disintegrating, and we want to say that there's not a force that is guiding things along. And it, you have to believe that there is this force that somehow came about by natural selection, I guess. Why, why is it? So to me, in order to be an atheist, you have to actually have more faith. To me, it's easier to say, sure, creation is here. There's got to be a God there. I've said it often, too. I, I don't have enough faith to believe that all things in the universe just happen to occur by accident. Yeah, and, and accidentally. And more than that, we talk about time being infinite, right? Infinite in the past, infinite in the future, and we are just so happened to be here at this particular moment by chance. What is the probabilities? There aren't any. Right, I mean, right. The, I, you, can't, you can't write a mathematical statement that would actually find some possibility of us being here other no. than maybe a little believing in God or a creator or a first cause. And, and getting back to death, one of the hardest things, I think, for people to do is to look at either themselves or others, to look at that life force that we have, that soul, what you know, people don't like to use that term, but that life force that we have, and it's just going to be snuffed out. Mm-hmm. It'll just be gone. People have a horrible time trying to think that when they die, there will be nothing more. And I know that there are some people who, in a sense, force themselves to believe that, but I think they have to go through a lot of mental gym- and emotional gymnastics yeah. to get to that point. And it's, an, it's a very empty conclusion. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. I, I, I made this comment to somebody. Uh, we were lo- sitting there looking at the, a sunrise after Mass one morning. It was just beautiful. God paints these beautiful sunrises yeah, every he's morning. He's good at it. And um, I was looking at that, and I said, how sad if you were an atheist? And he said, why? You couldn't thank anybody for that. You know, and, and it's just, but is it, you, and you almost have this natural thing, feeling that rises up within you saying, you know, I want to thank somebody for that, that beautiful sunrise, that beautiful sunset, or tonight is a blue moon. Did you oh, know well, that? that's right. And the first, a blue moon, and you tell me if I got it wrong, a blue moon is a second full moon. Third. Third full moon within a month. Yes. What? I... I thought they're all, isn't a full moon every 28 days? I think it's, I think it's a third. Well, it okay. was like I'll October look in the 1st. <laughs> maybe it's a second. I was thinking it was a third. I was, th- But maybe you're right. Maybe okay. you're right. But 
you know, I don't remember, I remember reading this at some point. Yeah, yeah. A blue moon on Halloween is almost unheard of. And so I, I just think that it's kind of an interesting, and you know, in 2020, what's going on here? Oh here? yeah, no What are you kidding. telling us oh. here? <laughs> anyway, so getting back to the death theme though, we are in denial. You know, we don't deal with death very much, but it's, it's this reality that we are all going to have to face and we need to live our lives in preparation for that because when you die, you will see God. And that's when judgment happens. Yeah. So, and that's a good lead in uh, one of my favorite books, the, uh, or um, I should say the most published book in the history of man, Save the Bible, is The Invitation of Christ. Right. By Thomas Akempis in, I guess, early 1400s. And he said, uh, everything he says in there is great, but he said, if you were wise, you would so order your life as if you would die before the day is over. Right. And, and in, in living a good life, I'm saying a better death, in order to have the good death, you better be living the life that you intend to. You can't wait for tomorrow. You need to be living it every day. Every, every day, you need to be doing what you think you should do today. You know, I, I say, go kiss your wife and beat your children. No, and, and kiss your children. <laughs> but no, I mean, we, we, death has to be on our mind. That way we will live our life the way God intends us to. And living your life the way God intends you to has eternal consequences. Because when you die, you will face God. And you, know, you always want to ask for his mercy because you're never going to be, you know, adequately prepared, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but when you die, it comes down to, and I, I don't see, you know, judgment in our society is, it's this, uh, it's kind of like the mortal sin. How dare you judge me for That's that? Right. You know, it's just, yeah. it's horrible that people, people uh, judge people, although everybody judges because it constantly. Just, yeah, it's, it's natural. Yeah. Even and, the tolerant people are judging us all the time. Well, they're judging us for judging. <laughs> So whenever they do that, I say, well, stop judging. Uh, But anyway, so the judgment to me isn't, you know, I don't see God as this great bean counter up there saying, oh, you've got to sin there, sin there, and then weighing it in his scales. I know you're an accountant, but, you know, I don't see him as the great. But I'm not a good one. (laughs) I I don't see I can't believe you said that. I'm not good with numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, good, good. That's comforting, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, I don't think that God is going to be that great accountant in the sky keeping tabs, you know, having a ledger on everything. You know, I think it comes down to, and John of the Cross said this, that in the end we will be judged on love. And to me, the quality of the love, there are a lot of people that love themselves. That doesn't get you into heaven. Yeah. It's selfless love, which I think is holiness. Yeah. Selfless love, like Jesus showed on the cross, that is what will get you into heaven. And feeling God's love, I think, is what, what motivates you as well. You know, I, I remember years ago, my daughter was uh, just beginning to drive. She was 16. Um, there was a terrible snowstorm. She's driving a friend home. And I get a call. I had, I had taken out my contacts and everything. I get a call, and um, she said, I had an accident. The car is can't, not drivable. I said, I'm on my way, right? So I'm... I'm give the phone to my wife, I run in, I poke my eyes and put them in and I'm, I'm off, right? And you know, kids, they, they don't wear winter coats unless they're forced to. So my daughter is in the middle of a snowstorm, standing outside, just, just freezing, and the car is 
nose down off of off of a, a little an embankment embankment yeah, yeah. and it, it ain't going anywhere and what did i do i wrapped her up in my arms and i put a coat on her and i put her in the car yeah uh, there's a lot of details that went into why that car went into the ditch but that's what god no. does to us yeah when we are hurt and cold and alone and suffering and crying he just wraps us up in our arms that's not an accountant no that's, no. that's, a, that's an all-loving God. That's like the story of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. I'm sorry, of, of the prodigal son. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right. the prodigal son. He comes back and the father asks no questions. The son is trying to explain things. Yeah, right. He puts it, a coat on him, wraps yeah. him up. You know, and then the other son is all ticked off. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, son. You don't seem to get this whole thing. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's the thing. I, I think judgment will be we... We'll, we are setting our own course for eternity because if we are so wrapped up in ourselves, that's what God will give us. He's a generous God. He will let us have what it is that we want. And if we love ourselves more than we love God or our fellow man, he will let us have ourselves. And I think that being alone, you know, solitary confinement is cruel and unusual punishment. Oh, it is? And that's, that's what they say it is. Oh, okay. And it, you know, people are all upset about it, you know, and it, it is fairly brutal, you know, to be just isolated by yourself, but that's what hell will be. Yeah. You'll be isolated for eternity. From God. Well, you... from God, from everyone, yeah. even though you'll be surrounded by demons. If you read St. Catherine of Siena, I'm right. sorry, if you read uh, Teresa of Avila, when she talks about the vision of hell that God gave her, you know, it, that isolation was something that jumped out at me. Yeah. I hear music. You do? What is that music for? I don't you hearing music? I don't hear music. Have you have you taken your pills today? <laughs> no, we are there is in fact music and we're talking about living well and dying better and when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about those things that might happen. Well, you call them four last things and one of them is heaven. One yes. of them is hell and we're going to talk about uh how you how you can get yourself to hell and how God is Wait, wait, we want to get... focus on heaven. And how God is after you to get you to heaven. Right. And well, again, we are talking, it is Halloween, and it is death and dying and living well and What an upbeat program. I, I know. We should have worn black. I did wear black. So anyway, tell your friends that we are on the radio talking about this. We'll be right back. We're back, and we're talking about living well and dying better. But before I do, just let me uh, encourage you all to give us a call after the program if you'd like to have a copy of this program or any others from the past. Uh, also, if you want Fred's book, you can buy it here at St. Joseph Radio. And, and by the way, you know, last week we had um, a deacon on. And after the program, and you probably see it if you go onto YouTube because we, we filmed this as well and put it on YouTube, he was saying, you know, I really feel called to do some door-to-door -door ministry, right? I think, I think that's what we need in this time of our life in, 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 in St. Louis or in the, in the um, as he called it, the next apostolic age, door-to-door. -door. And he says, I just, you know, I want to think about how to do that. I said, well, call us, for goodness sakes. We have a three-part series uh, on how to do door-to-door -door evangelization. So if you're looking for a good program, if you're looking to be like this deacon and do door-to-door -door evangelization, give us a call, send us an email, and we would be thrilled to do it. 
We did a video on the door-to-door evangelization years ago. Yes, you did. Uh, uh, what is his name? Uh, Goodwin or Godwin? Uh, I forget the guy's I name. I can't remember, but yeah. we had... You know, we staged it and everything. It was really a lot of fun, but it was. <laughs> and what? And if you remember the way it was, there was the it was a good cop, bad cop. I mean, they they showed you how to do it right. wrong. Yeah, right. How to do it wrong several and then, times. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> then how to do it right. right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was it was great. Yeah, great it was fun. fun. It was fun. So I gotta I gotta tell you, you know, we before we left, you know, we're talking about death. So after death, there's a couple of things that are going to happen: and death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And uh, what about this hell thing? Why would a good God send you to hell, for goodness sake? Oh, no, 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 no. God, God does not send people to hell. I remember there's a, there's a famous quote from C.S. Lewis uh, that says that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. You know, it's people turn God out. That's the thing. We reject God. Um, there's a, a, uh, there is a servant of God, you know, the different stages to sainthood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Heroic virtue, you can be a servant of God, venerable, well, or venerable. Venerable is a servant, heroic virtue. Yes, yeah, venerable. Yeah. Servant of God is when the uh, diocese or archdiocese does the investigation uh-huh. and looks around and says, we don't see anything objectionable and this person lived a holy life. And so they recommend them to the... Uh, uh, com- I was thinking of committee. You, so, you used to be. It used to be the title of the guy used to be uh, the devil's advocate, and now right. it is. Um, They've got. Yeah, they don't like that. No, they do. Yeah, advocatus else. diaboli. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, anyway, so now it's referred up to the uh, causes of saints. Causes for saints. Congregation yeah. for the causes. There That's you right. go. They don't call them committees. They call them congregations. Yeah. Anyway, so it's referred to the congregation for the causes of saints, and once it gets referred, you are you can be referred to as. A servant of God. And there was a guy named Jacques Fesch who was um, a uh, spoiled, rotten, self-absorbed uh, uh, kid living in Paris. Uh, he wanted his dad, very wealthy, he wanted his dad to buy him a boat so he could float around the Pacific and find himself. And his dad said no, so he said, I'm going to go out and rob somebody. So he took a gun he went and robbed somebody. I think we're lowering the bar for sainthood now, aren't we? Wait. Oh. So he went out and robbed somebody. Uh, as he's running away, you know, the, the shopkeeper comes and says, help, uh, thief, police, police. All these people start chasing him. And anyway, so he's waving his gun and shooting it. And he shoots. This is in Paris. And the Parisian gendarmes are very different from police in America. <laughs> I was over there and I watched them as they beat people up. And it was like, yeah. this Sounds is a like common Chicago, occurrence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, he was waving the gun while well, he shot and killed a policeman there who was a widower with two young children. Oh. And immediately he was, he had a death sentence on him. It didn't Pummels. matter. Yeah. Well, it didn't matter what happened in, in um, court. Everybody knew he was going to be sentenced to death. So anyway, they put him in prison and he's this, this uh, glib, you know, immature kid, you know, ah, this is so stupid, I can't believe, you know. Anyway, well, he's in solitary confinement for a couple of years, and there's a priest that goes by and sees him. And gradually, this guy has a conversion, and there's one night when he has a vision that just turns his life around completely. And he's, there's a collection of his letters that he's written from, from uh, uh, Cell Block 19, I think, in fact, is what hmm. the name of the book is. And... A tremendous conversion, and he, he resolves, he says, I'm, I'm resigned to what's going on. 
Well, he had a he had a a, a vision or he had a statement that he made. Um, his life totally turned around. He offered everything up to 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 God for the salvation of souls. Um, started writing these wonderful letters, and in one of the letters, he made this comment about um, sinners should see uh, putrid souls fleeing from the presence of God uh, because God is so powerful, so, you know, we think of God's love as just being love. Well, it's actually a power. And if a weak and tepid soul goes into the presence of God, it hurts. They flee from it. And this image that he had of the souls fleeing from God. So in a way, we judge ourselves. It's not so much that God judges us, it's just that we can't stay in his presence, and especially if we have mortal sin on our soul. Yeah. It will be so debilitating that we can't be in the power of God's presence. And so we don't judge our... We, God doesn't judge us. We judge ourselves. We ask for it. Right, right. Yeah. The way we live our life. That's why living well is so important, the yeah. way we live our life. And so then the question is, do you go to heaven or hell? And... You know, we've kind of, again, we've kind of cartoonized hell. You know, that, uh, what was that? Who was it that sang the song about, uh, I know there ain't no heaven, but I pray there ain't no hell? Yeah, I uh, yeah, wasn't prepared dog, for that. Three Dog Night Maybe. or somebody yeah, like be. that. Sounds yeah. Good. Anyway, so we kind of make light of it. Well, you know, hell is a horrible place. You know, if I, I, I would encourage people to read Teresa of Avila, who talks right. about it. St. Faustina talks about it. There are all kinds of saints. Read the Divine visions. Comedy. It's the scariest book I've read. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, going through, yeah, yeah. Uh, going through, you know, hell and then purgatory and then right, heaven. Right, And uh, anyway, it, it's, you know, hell is, is a horrible place and it's forever. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, Origen was an early church father. He's not a saint because there are some things that were kind of questionable in what he wrote. But anyway, Origen was a brilliant, brilliant um, um, biblical scholar, and uh, anyway, he he wrote and said that he thought that maybe because there's a verse in the Bible that talks about everything being united in Christ eventually, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he thought that hell was temporary. But the church, Jesus, oh, yeah. Jesus was very clear that yeah. hell is forever. Right. So we can't blow it off as something casual. And uh, and Teresa of Avila wrote about the hell, God granted her a vision of hell. And, you know, yes, there were demons, there was pain, there was suffering, there was screaming, there's blasphemies, all that kind of stuff. But like I said earlier, the thing that struck me the most was the isolation. Mm -hmm. The fact that you were so totally alone in hell forever. And we don't have enough within ourselves. We are not sufficient for our own happiness. You know, we're always looking outside because Shel Silverstein wrote a cute little book called The Missing Piece. Did you ever read that to no, your kids? No. Oh, And it's about a circle that's got a wedge cut out of it. And it's the cutest little book. And the, the circle is, you know, looking around trying to find the piece that fits. And he tries to make this fit and that fit and nothing fits. Finally, finds the wedge and the wedge makes him complete. That's our search for God. Only God and Father Garigou Lagrange wrote a book that talks about the everlasting nature of the soul. And he beautifully talks about how that, that emptiness in us that was caused by original sin is so vast, as, as Catherine of Siena said, the world is poor because there's not enough things in the world to fill that hole. It's only God that can fill that hole. 
in hell, you will be absolutely conscious of that hole in your heart. Right. And it will be in heaven where you are fulfilled. Yeah. I, I, was, uh, I don't teach confirmation anymore, and I miss it a great deal, but uh, periodically I go back and I'm a guest, uh, guest uh, uh, a tormentor. <laughs> and uh, so one of the things I asked uh, the, the, the young people, I said, tell me something that you don't understand about the faith or you don't believe about the faith or something, and we're gone. And, and this one guy says, how can a good God send people to hell for all eternity? And I kind of ignored his question. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking around and I'm answering other questions. And I casually take out my wallet and I put $20 on his desk. And he's looking at me and says, what's this? I said, that's $20. What's it for? I said, that's for you. Do I, do I deserve this? I said, no. I said, I said, do you want it? He said, no. He said, I took it back and put it in my wallet. And I continued to going on with class and just talked about this and about that. And uh, later on, he said, is that $20 still available? I said, yes. I put it on his desk. And I think, you know, in, in very simple terms, God is always after us. Right. You know, he has one of these titles, uh, the hound of heaven. Right. He's always after us, but he loves us and respects us so much that if we say no, he's going to respect no. The only reason we'll go to hell is because we can really say no. Right. I don't want it. I don't want you. I love me more than I love you. Right. And that's really, to me, that's the judgment that will happen yeah. because you will be you'll become completely aware of that. But then if you look at heaven, you know, we have sort of a caricature of heaven as well. Um, there was a book written by, uh, it actually was an incomplete book. It was the last book that Mark Twain wrote. And it was about a captain. I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, it was this guy, he dies and, you know, he didn't really live a great life, but he goes to this heaven and he can have everything that he wants and he can see whoever he wants and do all of that. He gets bored. You know, because he said, you know, after a couple of millennia, you know, because <laughs> you know, it goes on forever. And he talked about, you know, what, what's so great about heaven? But what you don't understand is, yes, you know, in heaven, our bodies will be perfect. You know, you'll, you know, if you look at Jesus after the resurrection, he could walk through walls. He could appear places just all of a the sudden. There are all kinds of physical aspects. And I do believe there's a verse in Romans that talks about how all the earth is groaning in expectation, waiting for redemption. Right. And so I think the world will, in fact, be transformed, and the veil that blocks our being able to see the glory of God through a flower, a raindrop, or whatever yeah. it might be, that that will be pulled back and we'll see the glory of God. But beyond that, you know, there, there's the, the idea of the beatific vision. Sure. And that we will see God in everything, and we will view him as he truly is and we will be in a place where just like an ocean of love with the waves rolling over us continually and God is infinite and so you'll never get bored you'll never get filled you'll up never get to the end you'll never get to the end yeah. and that's what we should be living a good life for yeah but so many times people don't because they're so wrapped up in the here and the now and the me yeah, yeah, and I guess maybe someday in heaven you get to the end of the internet, right? I mean, it, it, <laughs> but 
no. I, I, no, that's an impossibility, but go on. <laughs> no. But, and look, I tend to be a very temporal kind of a person, and I know we, 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 we are. I mean, we live in, you know, yesterday, today, tomorrow. But when we die, isn't there a, and I, and I hate to use this language, but I'm going to do it anyway, a period of time where we are just spirit, right, and soul, and then we have the, the, the resurrection of the body in the new heaven and the new earth, and we are resurrected in our bodies as well. Right. There are two judgments. Uh, this is something that was, uh, there's an immediate judgment, and then there's the last judgment. And yeah. the, the immediate personal judgment is when you die, and this was decided back in the 1300s, I think. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, these things that we kind of take for granted, right. there were these huge arguments yeah. you know, about them yeah, years ago. Yeah, they had to be discerned. Oh, yeah, yeah. And lots of prayer, lots of discernment. But anyway, the church teaches that when you die, you will, in fact, see God and you will be, you will have your personal judgment. Right. So that you'll know. Particular judgment. Particular judgment for you. And you will be, um, you'll end up in heaven or in hell. But yes, you are in a spiritual state then. But, you know, we're looking at this as if time has some relevance. I, I, I know. I said I was doing it. I mean, right. I, it, it's that, that being that I am. Right. I'm trying to put it into that square box. And, and so, you know, maybe we, won't, maybe we won't even notice that because we'll be in a timeless state. Right. Um, but, yeah, you're right. There, there's sort of a time when it's, it's your, uh, your spiritual, it's only your soul. But, you know, you will, at the last judgment, be reunited with your body. Right. That's why at, at, for burial, we treat the body as being so with important respect. with respect yeah. because we're preparing it for everlasting life. Yeah. That's what's so important. That's one of the aspects of a funeral yeah. that's so important. Um, but yes, it, it, there is a time, in our understanding, there is a time when you will be what just a soul. What made me think about it is what you said, all the veils are being lifted. And someone asked me or I heard him. I don't remember what it was, but I remember they said, well, if you have a particular judgment, why do you have a general judgment? What in the world is it? And then, this wise man said, well, in the general judgment, at that particular point in time, you become aware of the consequences of all the things you did. Mm -hmm. That kind word you said to somebody, you know, the, the dollar you sent to, to St. Joseph Radio, whatever it was, right? <laughs> all of these. <laughs> that was 50, a plug, by 50, the way. <laughs> 50 cents. I'm not supposed to do that. No, but no, all the good that you have done, you see those consequences. You, you said it. The veil has been lifted mm -hmm. and, and you become completely and totally aware of it. And right. this is, so that you're aware of it, this is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I'm your host, Peter Karutz, and we are here in studio with Fred Vilbig, who I miss a lot. We used to see him a lot over here. Fred is a honest-to-goodness, full-fledged lawyer who deals with preparing for death, I guess, often. We probably ought to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, preparing for death, I always feel that it's, it's important for people. Um, you know, you prepare for death spiritually, but you really need to look out after your family because if you haven't done any planning when you die, um, it, it's like a train wreck for families. And, yeah. you know, they come to me and they say, what do we do? What do we do? And, yeah. you know, actually we've got, we had a woman just this week who her daughter got in touch with us. She has uh, cancer, stage four cancer, oh, boy. four types, oh, boy. brain, lung, liver, kidney. And uh, we did a, a video signing. Uh, until the end of the year, we can do video signings. There's an executive order from the governor that allows us to do this. 
And so um, we did a video signing with her and uh, she was, uh, the, the mother was unable to um, verbally respond. And so we had her blink her eyes at us and she clearly was blinking her eyes yes and no to questions that we would ask. And I've done that before. Um, anyway, so we, um, she hadn't prepared and the daughter had mom in a hospital and the hospital was saying, um, you're out of money because she was being, it was being paid for under uh, Medicare, I think, at that point, and you only have 100 days. 100 days, that's right. And so um, they said, you're out of money, you've got to get her out. And they were putting a lot of pressure on this poor woman and the daughter, and she was, she was in tears. She was just in tears. I felt so sorry for her. And the mom had said, yes, we need to do something, but she had just never gotten around to it because we're all so busy, and, we just, and you don't want to think about death. So, um, but she needed what we were able to put together a, um, a, a general durable power of attorney, which mm -hmm. allowed the daughter to take care of financial matters. And then we also did a, uh, a living will for her. And the living will, we, we typically we do a medical directive. Mm -hmm. And the medical directive is a two part document. The first part is the healthcare power of attorney. And what it does is it says, if I'm uh, unable to make decisions, like if, you're un if you've been in a car accident and you're unconscious, you know, who decides admission to a hospital? Who decides surgery? Who decides medication? Who decides rehab? Who so what you do with a medical power of attorney is you authorize somebody to do those things. And then the other thing that this includes is a, is a living will. And the living will says, if I'm in a persistent vegetative state, if I'm basically a vegetable, don't hook me up to machines just mm -hmm. to keep me alive for the sake of keeping me alive. Allow me to go to my eternal reward. Yeah. Um, now, this has been, you know, the, the question, what, what is extraordinary? Okay, in Catholic theology, the idea is you are morally obligated to take advantage of ordinary means of continuing your life. Eating, Food, water. Yeah, eating, breathing, yeah. drinking, that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, but you are not obligated to avail yourself of extraordinary means. And um, it's pretty clear that, you know, uh, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, CPR, antibiotics, all of those are extraordinary, and there's no debate on that. The thing that has been sort of a hotly contested issue in America um, has been artificial nutrition and hydration. Right. And I will tell you that up until 1997, the Catholic Church was of the opinion that artificial nutrition and hydration was extraordinary, and therefore you didn't have to avail avail yourself of it. In fact, we were involved in the 80s, we were involved in a lawsuit with the Missouri Synod Lutherans. They believed that artificial nutrition and hydration was, was uh, ordinary and you had to give it to per someone. And um, there was a, a priest who was arguing the opposite, that it was extraordinary. And in court, he was arguing that. Anyway, in 1970, uh, 1997, uh, one of the offices over in uh, Rome under John Paul II, came out with a letter that said, you know, in industrialized nations, artificial nutrition and hydration has become so common that we need to look at it as ordinary. And that's when things really changed. Um, I still have priest clients who argue with me over that. You know, I say, well, no, that's not what the church teaches. Yes, it is. You know, anyway, so, but that, that's still sort of a hotly contested issue. Um, most people who are pro-life are very much on top of that, and they say artificial nutrition hydration is ordinary. 
So you need to avail yourself of it. Now, what we do, we've got several versions of this, and one of them, uh, we had, I, I, I was, I'm not anymore, but I was the president of the Catholic Lawyers Association here in yeah. St. Louis. St. Thomas More Society. St. Thomas More Society. And anyway, so we had a priest who came in and talked about end-of-life issues, and he hates um, living wills. And I said, well, Father, I have to do something because I'll get sued if we don't have a living will. And so we worked out sort of a, uh, an accommodation where we do the living will, but we say in there that I'm a Catholic, talk to a priest, because there are nuances mm-hmm. in that. Absolutely. And so it, it's, you know, it isn't just, a, in my mind, people will argue with me on this, but in my mind it isn't just cut and dry, uh, because there, there are times, and this is the position of the church, there are times when artificial nutrition and hydration is ineffective. Either your body isn't absorbing the nutrients or death is imminent, as in within days, a week, you know, a short period of time. And it doesn't make sense to do it. Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, it's nuanced. And so what we do is we say, I'm a Catholic, talk to a priest. Yeah. And Fred, look, I'm not a lawyer, but I've had to go through this in my family. And uh, the one thing I look toward is there's a, there's a great uh, ethicist. His name is Thad Paholcek. And he's, um, and you can Google him, you'll see him. He's on Catholic radio a lot. And he talks about this a great deal. And the, the only thing with the, the directive that you're talking about or the living will, since it is so nuanced, I, what I've done is I've directed a person as opposed to qualifications. Like you said, directed to a priest, right? Right. I've directed, so I've directed it to my wife, and my wife will consult a priest. Right. right? I, I don't want... A, a doctor to look at it and decide that he's going to de- interpret it to be whatever it is, because who knows what the circumstances are going to be. And it, it's scary now. The, um, the problem is we are more and more, they are talking about, you know, the right to die. Mm-hmm. And the right to die is just, you know, par- it's, it's a, a sweet way of, of saying that, you know, assisted suicide is fine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the problem with assisted suicide is you get on this very slippery slope where human life, you know, if, if it isn't useful, then it's okay to terminate it. And in, in Holland, they have a real problem with that, uh, that, you know, assisted suicide, and Oregon, I guess, but who knows what's going on in Oregon now. They're, it's on fire. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, crazy but uh, stuff. over in in Holland, you know, this is the assisted suicide. Um, you know, there are some people who the the allegations are that the person did not want to be killed. Right. It was the family who was kind of tired of them, and it was an economic drain. Ah. An, 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 another difficult problem, huh? Right. Yeah. Well, and Fred, you know you're going to have to save my job here because we were supposed to pray in the beginning. We didn't. We're, we're coming up to Halloween and All Souls Day and All Saints Day. So why don't, why don't we do the traditional one? Uh, eternal, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine, shine upon them. them. Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, Amen. Next week, we're going to be talking about scientism, and it isn't Scientology. Scientism. You'll... Uh, You'll enjoy it. It's a it's a, a great man, John Hendricks. Oh, it just came back to me. So, <laughs> thank thank goodness for memory in this uh, very old um, brain. So remember, we talked about living well, dying better. Call and get a copy of this if you'd like, and we'll see you next week. God bless. Mm-hmm.